Hear now, Acts 16, verse 11 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following the day at Neapolis, and from there Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of us, one who had heard, was a woman woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for telling us these wonderful stories of the building of your church. We thank you for these people that you have placed in the history of Christendom of how and who you reach out to. These are hopeful stories, Father. These narratives teach us of your salvation and show us how far you will reach to bring us to yourself. Thank you, Father. We pray that this word today would convict and encourage and equip us for the furthering of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's nice to see two ladies here in the front wearing purple. As soon as I saw... um, Harmony Ruth wearing purple. I thought, oh, great! So they can be kind of a of a uh, of a prop for me today. And um, Harmony Ruth and her, uh, we we nicknamed her um, Harmony Ruth for. I mean, we named her Harmony Ruth, but we for a while we had kind of a fun little time um, that her initials are H R H, and um, she kind of responded with that today when I said, oh, you're wearing purple, and she says, I am royalty. <laughs> So her royal highness sits before you this morning. Um, seems like my daughters will get a little bit of attention today as we are going to be talking about Lydia. But this is an encouraging story for us. Many of us have heard this story. Lydia is known as the first convert in Europe. Um, and some places will actually list her as the first European convert. European convert, And that's actually incorrect because she is not European. Um, But she was in Europe when she was converted, so saying that she is the first convert in Europe is true, but it says in the passage itself that she was from Thyatira, and that was where Paul and uh, Silas were right before this particular passage. They were actually going through Asia Minor, which is what country today? Turkey. Turkey. They were going through Turkey, um, and they were going across the water, in what is now modern day Greece. Greece. 
Right, that's right. <laughs> you get extra points for your geography today. Um, and they are in Europe now. And so, as if you recall from last week's sermon, uh, the very unique vision that they received uh, from a man in Macedonia saying to come see us and help us. And there was a call to the gospel. And so we see that God had deterred their path, that they had a particular plan and path that they were going on. And God, the Holy Spirit, disrupted that particular path and put them into this place for a purpose as it is now. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you can see that they are in Philippi. And that is where the church was established that received the epistle, the epistle to the Philippians. I have a few points. I'm going to just run through the points real quickly today, um, and then I'm going to try to cover these points quickly. And so if you're one who take notes, I'm going to have uh, seven points. So seven is the perfect number, but it might seem like a daunting and scary sermon. I don't think it will be. Um, But if you are taking notes, now would be the time to write down the points. The first is that God is spreading his kingdom, and he is truly the one spreading it with the emphasis of God spreading his kingdom. We are reminded in this circumstance that God has control of this situation, that it is not by their own strategy. It is fine for them to have strategy. It is fine for them to have plans. It is our calling. We see in the wisdom of the scriptures that we do equip ourselves and prepare ourselves. But it's also encouraging when God disrupts our plans because it is in those moments that we realize that We can't screw it up that bad (laughs) because when he changes it, it might be a tremendous disruption. It might be terrifying in that moment, but that God is in control and he brought them into Europe and we are grateful that he did and we see how he has done his work and Paul and them and all who have seen through that time realizes that he is spreading his kingdom. Secondly, God goes to the gatherers. It is a very interesting context to have here that these people were gathering and worshiping God and they did not know Jesus Christ. And it is an encouragement to us to know that it is okay to sometimes go without the fullness of understanding that God will meet the gatherers where they gather together. Third, praying together is a continual mark of his people. Now, of course, this is really a Jewish group of people, a Gentile Jewish, a um, a hybridization of believers. They are following the Jewish ways of the Jewish God, which is the God of Abraham, and it is Jesus. But they do not know who they are worshiping, but they are praying together, and it is a continual mark that we will see, and it should encourage us to always be praying together. I've had multiple conversations with people this week through some very terrifying and challenging situations, and there was prayer coded in these conversations And it has been an amazing thing, but we have come here together to pray together. Fourthly, the fourth point is God loves women. Now, of course, there's a lot of ways that we could think about that. But God is making a point, I believe, in this chapter without any question. And when we know of all of historical redemptive work of the scriptures, it is a unique thing and a special thing that he is highlighting. Three, in, in a way, even four different women in this particular chapter. And we're here seeing this woman, Lydia, who is the head of her household. And we'll talk more about that. And then fifthly, God blesses through industriousness. 
he is using as his strategy that Lydia, not only is she a woman, but she is a businesswoman. She is a woman with means, and she is the one who is going to help build the foundation of the beginning of the Philippian church. And she is actually encouraging that these missionaries come to our home. And that gathering, that gathering of people will take this gathering that was by the river and will establish a church of Jesus Christ in our home. And it is an amazing thing to see God's strategy of using her gifts and abilities to actually seed and be the foundation of the church. Sixthly, (laughs) we see here a response of the gospel, a very clear articulation of how God brings his people. And that again, it is God who opens the heart and draws. But then we see a replication and a model of how we are to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we see there is a call to follow to follow him. She went from being baptized and trusting the Lord and then seeking to have the ministers of the gospel before her, seeking to be in that same replication of gathering with other people and following Jesus Christ in obedience of giving up her life for the call of the gospel. You all may be familiar with this song and um, I'm using as my, throughout the, the, the sermon today, this particular song, it's a very popular song, and I love hearing Alison Krauss sing it, and um, please not laugh at me when I try to sing this. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. This is the people of God seeking to be shown the way. It doesn't give us an answer of this Macedonian man, who it was that was calling for them to come and to help them. And that call to help was a call to the gospel. And I think that for us, in any kind of scenario that we encounter in life, that when we hear a call for help, I think we need to be thinking that this is a call for the gospel, Now, you might not think that that is necessarily so if somebody's calling for help because they've run out of gas or they have a flat tire or they want you to move a piano, which you would not really be thinking gospel thoughts when anyone ever calls you to move a piano or an oven into a small space. No one in here, particularly in mine. But we should look at these particular calls. Whenever we are called to do something, we should consider this particular story that does not, when he says, come and help us, you know, what is he asking help for? Well, we see here that it is for the gospel, gospel to be spread in the European continent and that we should hear all calls for any kind of help, whether it's a desperate, desperate cry from a child or whether it is someone in need on the side of the road, it is an opportunity to bring about the gospel. Here, this song teaches us that these ladies have come to the river to pray, studying about the good old way. The Old Testament was their only pointer to the gospel. And who would be able to be with the king? And they were looking for the way. God had already put it upon their heart. It says in this passage where we see that Lydia had her heart open to hear. But God had already drawn these people 
these ladies to a place of prayer, it was already known and heard that God's people would come together to hear about this God, the God of the world. Well, they're in a very unique place. They are in Philippi, which is a leading city of the Roman colony of Macedonia. It is a very strategic place. There's a lot of traffic going through here. It is a gateway. It is a very prominent city. And so there's a lot of things going on in the Lord's strategy of why they are here in this particular place. Paul just just going with it. He's not thinking that later on that he will be writing a specific letter to a church here. He's just doing the next thing. He's obeying God by following the call of help. He is going anticipating that the gospel is going to be spread. And that's why I was saying we should also do that. But God has, has a strategy that this particular place is going to have a significant influence on the spreading of the gospel by being in a very significant city as Philippi is. And then here we see that after some time that Paul is just doing the next right thing. He knows that God's people will be gathering on the Sabbath. God had established that momentum with his people in that command. And so he surely asked around in those days whenever he encountered people, do you all know of anyone who are Jews or people who would be worshiping so that I can go and and talk with them and reveal to them the actual hope of what they are studying. And he supposed that there would be a place by the river. And so he goes to the gatherers, and he is this representation of the gospel. Therefore, God is going to the gatherers, and they're going near the water. Now, we see here, and we know here, not only by reading the Old Testament, but also just understanding the history here, that when... Gentile believers or God-fearers who had enough knowledge of the Old Testament, whenever they would gather, they would want to gather somewhere near water. For what reason? Yes, but what kind of baptism? What did Jews have to do a lot of in the book of Leviticus? How many's favorite book in the Bible is the book of Leviticus? Nobody is raising their hand. I don't understand. (laughs) In the book of Leviticus, there is a lot of teaching to the Jews about being clean and how to get clean. And there was a lot of things that was considered to be unclean. It was a tedious and purposely tedious. And you might look at, you ought to go and and read Leviticus this afternoon. (laughs) Maybe do that on Monday. It's not a very restful thing to read on a Sunday afternoon. But the purpose of that tediousness, and it is overwhelming. And you talk to most people and they'll say, Leviticus is just rough. And it's not that God was just... You know, not doing a good job on putting a nice flow of reading for you. It is very purposefully tedious because the point in the purpose of Leviticus is to point out how unclean mankind is. And to teach us just how low our sin goes. And how necessary it is that if you are going to stand before a righteous and holy God and be a people of a righteous and holy God, you must be clean. And it is also to point out that it is impossible to get clean enough on our own. 
And so God's people were gathered here, knowing what God has said about his righteousness, knowing what God had said about this particular day, and knowing about their need to be clean. They were going to the river to pray and going to the river seeking that they could somehow another present themselves before God as clean. And so they would go there and they would participate in the cleansing rites that they had been taught in the book of Leviticus, hoping that they might be able to react to the call of coming before the Lord in cleanliness. They were acknowledging their sin. They were not acknowledging their need of being cleansed. There was already a trajectory by understanding the call of the gospel in the book of Leviticus and other books of the Old Testament that they must repent. They must understand that they are very, very unclean and God requires a clean people. And so they came together, praying together showing forth that continual mark that they were going to go before the Lord in our prayer time this morning, that once everything was disrupted in the very beginning when Cain and Abel had their fight, and well, as Cain killed Abel simply, there seemed to be a lack of hope that there would be a flow of that promise that one day there will be a Messiah. But then there was Seth, and then it said shortly after Seth, the people began to call upon the Lord to ask out to God, to pray to God, to speak with God, and to hope in God. People come together to pray. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down. Down in the river to pray. Here we have a very unique circumstance where women are coming together to pray. This is somewhat scandalous and strange that the women are the ones here, that they're the ones who are seeking out God. It's not, we don't know where the men are, but God had sent men to them to teach them the gospel, but God wants to show us this story. We've already seen earlier in the story that when we're thinking about Timothy, that Timothy was taught not by a godly man, but by a godly mother. So pay attention here to the kind of women that God are highlighting. One we see with Eunice, the mother of Timothy, that she is the one who helps disciple Timothy to understand how to fear God and to seek God. And as the gospel has been brought to Timothy, Paul sees that Timothy will be a strategic and helpful person to spread the gospel to a mixed and diverse place. But that work was being done by a God-fearing woman named Eunice, a mother who had been taught by her God-fearing mother named Lois. Women are very actively involved in this missionary work in establishing that call of motherhood to disciple their children, to follow the Lord, and to proclaim the Lord. And now we have this woman named Lydia. We do not know a whole lot about her, but we do know more about her than maybe we know from some. She is one who is from Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was a very significant place in Asia Minor that had a textile industry. Now, I think I may have mentioned this last week, but in these industries, you had to be a part of a guild to be able to, I don't know if I did talk about this last week. Did I talk about the guild last week? I don't think I did. <laughs> I think I read about it last week, but I didn't preach about it. 
to be a part of this guild, can you guess what kind of things that they had to participate in? All right. What's that? Paying dues. Yeah, it makes sense like uh, what's the union dues, right? It was kind of like a union, but the things to participate in, and maybe even today with some of the political correctness and wokeness, that it wouldn't be too far stretched that some of the unions today require you to participate things that are wicked and against God. But the two particular things that you had to participate in is in one, you had to often participate in sexual immorality with the worshiping of false gods. That was a very common practice of that age, of that pagan religion. And then you also had to participate in the eating of food sacrificed to false gods. That was a very common thing. Pretty much, if you were going to be a successful business person in that region and be a part of that guild, it was very known, and in secular history will point this out, that those were the kind of things that if you're participating in that work, you're participating in that guild, and you're going to be participating in these wicked practices. Does anybody remember what the Jerusalem Council said that as you go out and teach these Gentile Christians that you really need to just focus on two things to tell them that they needed to refrain from? Well, now we see where those two things came from. And now we see that here's a businesswoman and we can understand through the history of mankind that Lydia had likely at least was close to that association. It doesn't necessarily say that she was participating in that. We don't know what happened to her. She was probably going to Philippi to do her trade industry. And somehow or another, she went from Philippi out to a riverside and standing before Paul. And then this person from Thyatira that is going to be known for a lot of pagan idolatry. She is now standing here hearing the gospel preached. Who has come down to the river to pray with other women. And it is outside of the gates. There's a lot of representation of it being outside of the gates for a couple of reasons. It's not uncommon for them to go outside because in Leviticus, when you are trying to get clean, you have to be outside of the city gates. It is a magnification that you are not yet fit to be with the people. Now, the, these particular people would not have been Jewish people in Philippi. These would be pagans. And so there's also the indication that it's likely they were outside because they were unwanted by the pagan people. And it was often illegal for them to be practicing what they were wanting to practice by being together as God's people. These women were outside worshiping the Lord, recognizing Their low place in life, even though secularly Lydia would have still been considered a respectful businesswoman compared to how some other regions would have seen her, it is truly a place of gathering of people who are considered to be low, unclean, in need of cleansing. If you go through Leviticus, you will see so many places that if you have just a little bit of this dirt or a little bit of that, you cannot come back in the presence of God until you are clean. These women have come down to the river to pray that God would cleanse them. I'm not going to talk about this much here, just by referencing just so that you can maybe have a preview for next week. Well, next week we will have another female being highlighted, a slave girl who is being used by her masters 
in wickedness. And God will free this slave girl. Just go ahead and give you the spoiler there. That God is going to come to this girl also. It is a wonderful highlighting of what God will do. He will use those who are rooted in the faith from generation to generation to spread the gospel. He will, re- he will use people from pagan lands that are likely involved in pagan idolatry to further and build the kingdom of God. And he will use those who are captive by demons and by the direction of demons to be used for the glory of God. God truly loves women. There's no uncertainty about that. They've come down studying about that good old way and who shall wear the robe and crown. Good Lord, show me the way. My two props left at the wrong time here, that here we're talking about the robe and the crown that we can see here that not only is Lydia involved in a very wealthy and established industry, she has already been participating in preparing clothing for royalty. You were only to wear purple, you had to be rich. It was synonymous with some type of royalty, and we know that there is a shadow here in her service, even before she would know who her king is, she is already working to present royalty to the world. This robe and crown, not only that she gets to help proclaim and show in the world, but that she gets to participate in and actually sharing the inheritance with her king. God is blessing through her industriousness in using her to not only use her finances, but to use her story, to use her identity as a woman, to use her position as being those who will magnify the beauty of royalty. God is over all things. All things are placed under his feet. All people, all circumstances. God is not leaving any stone unturned and making sure that his glory is shown. He is doing in this small little story, this little paragraph, in this one sentence of showing us the life of Lydia, he is bringing forth his glory in a wondrous way. And the call of the gospel is clear. We should hear the call to repent. We should seek to be clean. We have to understand our sin. They were, reve- they were reading Leviticus. You know, we like the song. We like the story. We like the idea of Lydia. We don't like the idea of reading Leviticus. <laughs> but that's what started it all. That's what got them to the river, is being reminded of their sin. The call of the gospel is to repent, be baptized. Here they did not know this kind of baptism. They were already involved in the ritual rites of cleansing. And then all of a sudden someone calls before them and says, you see what you're doing here with this cleansing? Do you understand what's going on with what you're doing with how you are unclean and you need to be clean. Well, let me tell you about the person who can make you clean. 
forevermore. That all of this is pointing to, that also went down into the water and has cleansed his people. Here, Lydia hears the call, but it tells us something very unique. That it wasn't her wit and her ability, her giftedness as a businesswoman. It was God opening her heart to this proclamation of the gospel to respond to what had been presented to her by Paul. And she followed Jesus Christ. And then once again went down into the water to be baptized. And then we have a very unique situation that this woman is also the head of her household. And that by her going into the waters to be baptized, obeying Christ in baptism, her household came with her. Oh, fathers, let's go down. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Oh, sinners, let's go down. Let's go down. Come on down, oh, sinners. Let's go down, down in the river to pray. She got to bring her whole household with her. God was making them clean. God's promises of a new covenant, of a new people, people who were not originally his people, new nations, a new continent, God growing his people, his first church being established in the household of a woman. And then she responds to the gospel by saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, we can know here that she's not presenting her works. It is very clear. If you spend your time reading Leviticus, you don't have any works to present. But she's saying, have I responded according to what God has called unto my heart? And if you see me to be now amongst his people, come and stay with me. O brothers and O fathers and O sinners, come into my home. Go read Acts 2. The call of the gospel was given to them when they said, what shall we do? And it says to repent, to be baptized, you and your household. And the Holy Spirit would be given to you. And then what did they do after that? They gathered. They broke bread. They shared their goods. They gave everything they had to the calling of the kingdom. The template of Acts 2 is here in the story of Lydia. She calls people to come, studying about that good old way, to let them know who shall wear the robe and crown of Jesus Christ. That as they have themselves exposed in the admittance of their understanding of their sin, the repentance and the vulnerability of their weakness, that those who come in repentance and faith will be clothed in royalty. Good Lord, show me the way. Brothers and sisters, we see here a lot of things of our calling. Hopefully we can see in this story both our vileness and our need for cleansing And we can see the one who cleanses us and calls us to gather. 
The thing to learn from Lydia is that these ladies came together. They had to determine some things. They had to come to some conclusions. And if you've heard the gospel, the one they had to determine, is the Old Testament true? Is the, the words of Leviticus and the things that they were taught in their hybrid religion of being a Gentile God-fearer, they have to determine, is the Bible true? Do you determine that the Bible is true? And if it's true, do you sing this song with those who come down? Do you want to be shown the way? Are you eating the Bible and determine that it's true? Are you responding to God's word as these people have responded? You need to determine if the call to worship him regularly. They were there on the day that God called them, and they were there corporately in their own manner of what they had available to them. They were not too popular. They didn't have a lot of signs. Paul had to find out that there was, they supposed that there might have been some people here worshiping. They were there together seeking a Messiah that they had never heard of. Even in their ignorance, they are further than what many people are today in even seeking to submit themselves to the biblical call of regular worship and corporate worship. You need to determine if the Bible, what the Bible teaches about what to pray for and how to pray. They were following God's word. Where they're not just praying for their earthly success. They were not just praying for health. They were praying that God would cleanse them. And continue to cleanse them from their sin. Are we bold enough to ask God to continue to dig down deep in every nook and cranny of our lives? And cleanse us. Do we bring our households with us? Do we put our households before the Lord? If you have put your household before the Lord... We can trust the Lord. We have here a promise. We go back to Acts chapter 2. We have the promise. That he will pour out his spirit upon us. That he will open our hearts. That is what they were doing. They were going before the Lord seeking, as they also learned in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, that their hearts would be circumcised. These women who cannot be physically circumcised. Knew that their hearts could be. They had hearts that can be circumcised, but they couldn't do it themselves. No man on earth can circumcise their hearts. Only God can open their hearts and cleanse them of the sin that they have. Does the Bible teach us to assemble together? To pray? To disciple one another? To learn about that good old way? We see here is that if we have organized religion, people have come here regularly, we hear, and I've preached this before, that the world will tell us that it is a bad thing to be an organized religion. But it is a good thing here. God came to those who gather. And what is the Bible teaching us about how we can be clean? It is only and through the work of Jesus Christ. Here we have the presentation of the gospel We have the presentation of royalty. We have the promise here that we get clothed in royalty. And here at the end of this service, we have the royal table of Jesus Christ who calls us to put on his robe and crown, 
to sit in his seat. He has married us and made us one with him. And he tells us to eat of him, to eat of his righteousness, to eat of his work. When we come to this table and we say, Lord, have you found us to be faithful? It's not that we're presenting our own works. When we come here now, we're coming to the Lord at the table and say, have you found me to be faithful? I have Jesus. I've taken Jesus. I have become one with Jesus. You have opened my heart. You have drawn me to this table. Have you found me to be faithful? And our Heavenly Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is telling us that he is pleased with our faithfulness because our faithfulness is Christ's faithfulness. This table is a beautiful thing of his royalty. Come here with that same humility, knowing the depths of your sin and even the greater reach of his grace. Let us pray.